Hi, I'm Grayson Willis. Thank you for joining us today on the podcast for Harrisonburg Nazarene Church. Join us each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. on Facebook Live. Be sure to like and follow our page while you're there. Please take time to subscribe for updates and new episodes to this podcast. You can now search for our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. I had a thought uh, this morning as I was preparing to gather and gather with those of you that are in the room and with those that are online. Uh, I think it was from the Lord. And the thought uh, that came to my mind was this, the church never closes. Now, that is not an indictment this morning on some churches in our area, in our, in our community, in our nation today that could not have live worship. That's not an indictment on them. It is a reality, though, that the church of Jesus Christ never closes. And so today, those of you that are worshiping in your living rooms, thank you today that the church never closes. Uh, Thank you for that. And I believe that that is who we're called to be in these days, a a church that never closes. Um, What a mission we have to go, right? Um, if, If we've ever needed hope. Uh, It's now. If there's ever been a time in our community, in our world, where everyone's just a little bit, I mean, what a weird week it was. I'm going to be honest with you. But I'm just here to say that Jesus Christ is still on the throne, and his church never closes. And we're just grateful for that today. We're grateful. We are uh, in prayer for many, many of you, many in our, our nation that are being impacted. We want you to be safe. Thank you. If you did not feel comfortable gathering, thank you for staying home. That is okay. We love you, and we're praying with you, and we in this way are trying to find really creative ways to still be the church and to figure out how we can be a part of meeting needs in our community, not running from them, right, but running towards them in some ways, how we can be the church. And so uh, today is a national day of prayer, and so we're going to dive into the word this morning. I'm grateful that we get to open the word together today. I feel grateful that we get to be a part of leaning on the solid rock, the firm foundation, but before we do that, Um, Could we just pause again in prayer, not just in the room here, but several hundred now that are gathering online right now, right where you are, would you just pause for a minute? Uh, Would you still your heart? Would you invite the presence of the living God right there where you're sitting to just come and, and dwell within you? He's here, he's there right where you are, he's present among us as we've already been saying, but right now, would you just acknowledge his presence? Would you acknowledge that God did not wake up today scared or worried that nothing that's happening right now surprises him. So would you just for a minute pause and just kind of exhale and acknowledge that, yeah, God's presence is real. His church, his church never closes. God, thank you today that you are an ever-present help in times of trouble. That you are our firm foundation. You are our solid rock. So today we do not fear because you're with us. And God, we pray today knowing that for many in our nation, it is a time of fear. And and for many in our nation, this is a, a time of instability. But God, as the church, we choose today in faith to recognize, to fix our eyes on Jesus. Because you are our hope, God, and you do not fail. And so today, we proclaim that you are with us and you are for us. 
And so today, God, may the church be the church. Not just our church, God. I'm praying for the church in our community, in, our, in, in the valley. I'm praying for the church across America, God. And these days, may hopeless people be drawn to hope in Jesus Christ. God, thank you for the mission that you've called us to. In these days, there is no substitute for the church being the church. And may we be the church today that never closes. In Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> amen. Amen. Uh, well, we are going to dive into God's word today, and so I'm grateful to get to do that. It feels like an honor and a privilege. How often do we come and gather like this, and do we just take for granted? I'm going to be honest. As a pastor, I take for granted what we do in worship. And so today, I, I just, I'm not taking that for granted, that we get to open the word of God together. And so wherever you are today, would you just open uh, to the book of Hebrews chapter 12? That's where we're going to be landing today. Uh, if you were here last week, we began a series called Drifting. Drifting, and uh, let me tell you, there's some real irony in what we're going to preach today because this is a, a message that we've prepared for weeks and weeks. And, man, it's really timely today and really kind of ironic as we dive into it. You'll see and understand uh, more. But uh, if you weren't here, we talked last week about this idea of drifting. And if you were standing still, you're drifting. Because in God's economy, in his kingdom, it's not like the lazy river, right? It's not like just jump on and float along. And some of us, that's kind of what we resonate towards. And that's kind of what we like. But that's not the faith, the journey that we've been called to. We've been called to swim against the current of sin. Against the current of kind of the cultural norm. Against the, the, the current of indifference. That's who we've called to be. And so we are challenging ourselves in these areas of our lives where we may drift. Where maybe just a degree or two from God's best for us, we begin to drift. And so over these next three weeks, starting today, we're going to address three very specific areas of drift in our lives. Now, I'm going to be honest, these next three weeks are extremely convicting for me because these are areas that, if we're not careful, if we don't pay attention, that they're very easy for us to kind of accept as the social norm. And before we know it, we've drifted from God's best for us. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 begins with the word therefore, and so because of that, we have to know the context. Uh, we, we really touched on this as we closed last week's message, but you have to understand Hebrews 11 is the faith chapter. It, it's the faith hall of fame. It begins with Hebrews 11 defining what faith is, and then really the entire uh, chapter, Hebrews 11, is, is at least 16 different names Again, this is a largely Jewish audience that, that the book of Hebrews is being written to. And so these are the forefathers of the faith and, and the men and women that have gone before them. And so many of them are listed by name. But the point of Hebrews 11 is reminding us of faith and reminding us of the journey of those that have gone before us. And so we come to Hebrews chapter 12 today. We're just going to be looking at the first three verses of Hebrews 12. Uh, but we're going to pause throughout and I'm going to make a few comments to help us in this area as we continue in our series, Drifting. So Hebrews 12, 1, therefore, because of the faith of many others, because we're not in this alone, because those that have gone before us in the faith, therefore, since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, this journey that we're going to read about today, this race that we're called to run is not a solo event that we have been blessed with community. Man, that's good news today, that we're not in this alone. And not just those that we see around us now, but the generations that have gone before us. 
So, therefore, we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that easily entangles. There's a distinction here. There's a difference. Uh, A lot of us, we we may think in terms of sin, and that's important. Man, we as a church are never going to stop identifying and, and understanding sin, looking at sin in our own hearts and asking God to lead us. But this series in particular is unique in that we're not just talking about the sin in our lives. We're talking about everything that hinders and that Greek word, that Greek word there, onkos, literally means something that weighs us down. It's not just sin, it's, it's also the, the burdens that weigh us down, the burden that drags us down until we stop. The author of Hebrews says, we got to get rid of that. We got we to throw off sin and everything that hinders, everything that would weigh us down. And as it continues, let us run. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. He is, right, the pioneer, the perfecter, the author, the finisher of our faith. And last week, what a great recap this is. If you missed it, we talked about two key areas for us in this way of drifting. One is focus. And we're going to talk about that again today and in the weeks to come, that if we're going to combat this drift in our lives, that often we don't realize when we're drifting. Sometimes we realize and it's too late, but, but, but if we're going to get serious about kind of, of looking at the drifting in our lives, it begins with focus. And so the author reminds us that we fix our eyes on Jesus. He is our focus And urgency, right? We talked about that last week, that there's urgency involved. And so we see that we're called uh, not to meander, not to mosey our way. We are called to run the race. There's urgency there in the call that we have. Let's continue reading. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is joy. There's joy in this for Jesus. This was not a, a race of weariness for him. Oh, sure, there was burden along the way, but, but it was for joy that he endured the cross. It, it was for joy that he, he went before him. And consider him so that you will not grow weary. Focus on Jesus today. In light of these words, I want to challenge us a little bit. I think the question we should be asking is, what is it today that's hindering us? Certainly, what is the sin? Where are the places in my life that that are not pleasing to God? I think that's a good question. But the question I would ask is not just what sin is holding me back, but what are the things in my life today that are hindering me? Not just the sin, but, but everything else that hinders, everything else that holds me back. What is it today that's holding me back from God's best? What is it today that if I'm not careful, I'm just, I'm just beginning to drift off course, even just a little bit. It's not sin, at least not initially, because we begin to accept it and we begin to buy in. But, but, but if we're not careful, we begin to drift and drift and drift from God's best for us. And the scariest thing is you don't even realize that you're drifting. The year was 2007. 
and I was in kindergarten. Just kidding. Uh, I'm not that young. Some of you think that's true. Uh, the year was 2007, and 2007 is really significant because it's probably, uh, probably one of the most significant shifts in human history, perhaps uh, since 1440. If you don't know what 1440 is, that's when Gutenberg invented the printing press. And, and this is not going to be a history lesson, but what's significant about that is because when Gutenberg invents the printing press, now information is portable. Information can get out to the masses that, that even if we're just focusing on the Word of God, you don't need to come to a central location to hear the Word of God. Now the Word of God can be distributed out to everyone. And so 1440 is big. And there was big things that happened after 1440, right? Electricity, the automobile, the telephone, but many would argue 2007 was more significant than any of that. Because you see, in 2007, something really significant happened. And really, the culmination of a lot of things, a lot of technology, there was the personal computer. There, there was the World Wide Web, as it was called. There was a phone, a portable device. And in 2007, all of those things collided in the introduction of the iPhone. Not just the iPhone, right? Right. Facebook in 2007 was first time made available to anyone with an email address. 2007, the year Twitter begins. 2007, the first year of this thing called the cloud, where you can store information somewhere out there. 2007, the opening of a store called the App Store. Now fast forward 13 years later, 13 years later, now that sounds like a long time, but just in 13 years, we've experienced more change and more shifts in our culture than ever before in human history. That literally, right now, this culture, this uh, demographic uh, called Generation Z, it's age 23 and under. And, and many historians have said this will be the last generation. And they're not saying that because they're prophesying some end of the world. They're saying that shifts now in culture are so rapid and change is so rapid because of the technology that's around us, the birth of the digital age, as it was called in 2007, that now it will be impossible to track from one generation to the other. And so many have referred to Generation Z as the last generation. And so this morning, in response to Hebrews 12.1, I want to introduce, I want to dive into a topic that is real and prevalent to each and every one of our lives, the topic of technology. Now, some of you, your immediate reaction today is, why in the world would we spend an entire Sunday morning talking about this? Of all the things in Scripture, why, Pastor, is this the topic that we want to talk about today? Well, I believe God has called us as a church to live obediently today, to be relevant today, to interpret God's word in light of the day in which we live. And so I would say it's impossible to be a believer in 2020 and to not take seriously the role of technology and that it plays in our lives, that we have to use his word to understand and live obediently in the days in which we live. And so because of that, I would say we have to talk about this. It's that critical. Now, I, I want to be clear today. I love technology. Isn't it ironic, as literally hundreds of people are gathering today online to be a part of the service, I'm not here to preach against technology, okay? Clearly, we as a church understand and appreciate the benefits of technology. I wrote this message on my iPad, and I preach every week from it. Because I used to have paper, and it would like blow as soon as the air condition turned off, and I wouldn't know what I was doing. So, so clearly, 
I like technology. We, every week, we put in our little grocery order, you know, and we pull up to the curb and they bring it right out to us. I love technology. That I, I've got an iPhone and I use it. I've got Audible. I, I do all kinds of things on here. I love technology. You better believe when we go to Chick-fil-A, we mobile order because I am not waiting in that line. I love technology. I get some amens on that, right? In many ways, technology is a gift. It used to be if your house was cold, you would have to go and chop down a tree, right, right? And you bring it in, you cut it all up, and then, then you put it in and you raise the temperature in your house. And now you just walk over to the thermostat, click, click. Up it goes a degree. It used to be if you wanted to wash your lawn, that was a whole day down by the creek doing whatever you do. With it, and now you just throw it into the machine and you can do other things. It used to be to make a meal, everything had to be made from scratch. But now you can order whatever you want. They'll even deliver it to your home used to be we'd have to write a letter, send it out and wonder if the communication ever gets there. But now you can send an email, a text, a Snapchat, whatever way you want to instantly communicate with anyone you want. Let's be honest, technology is a gift. So today is not about the demonization of technology. If you're hoping for that, if you're, that you're going to be sadly mistaken because that's not what today is about. And even today, I'm not going to talk to you about the forms of technology. This show is good. This isn't. This app is good. This, that's not what today is about either. Really, for us, technology is neutral. It's neutral. There's nothing about technology inherently that is destructive or evil. It's, it's like any other medium in our life, like paper or music or, or pictures, images. It is Neutral. The issue is not technology in and of itself. The issue is how we utilize technology in our lives. And this is what I think is true for us, that drifting happens in our lives when we don't possess technology, but when technology begins to possess us. And there's a difference. There's a difference. Each and every one of us today utilizes technology in some forms. Even those of us that are a little more seasoned in the room and a little bit skeptical, we all have the advantage of technology at our fingertips. The question is today, is it beginning to possess you? And that's when drift begins to happen. Two things today I specifically want to talk about today. In light of Hebrews 12.1, Throwing off everything that hinders. I want to talk about today that I believe two ways that technology can begin to cause a drift within us. The first is very clearly that when we dive in and, and, and technology begins to become something that possesses us, it begins to change us. It's fascinating when you study the human brain. There's a lot of people in the room and watching today that are a lot smarter than me when it comes to this topic. But when you study the human brain, there's this thing in the brain called dopamine. And I, I spent some time reading about it. Dopamine is like a, it's a neurotransmitter. And the reason that's important in your brain is because it has to do with all kinds of executive functions of motor control and motivation and reinforcement. Really what it does is it relates to the reward we receive for a certain action. Not a physical reward, but deep within our brains. It anticipates that reward. And, and if the reward is met, it enables a, a behavior to become a habit. So dopamine in itself is not a bad thing. Dopamine is, for some of you, it's the reason that you go on a run and then you feel so much better afterwards, right? It's the dopamine in your brain teaching your body that there's a reward for the activity which you've done. But the truth behind much of the technology being created today 
is everything is being designed for distraction and addiction. That's how they make money. So, so literally, one of the inventors of Facebook admitted as much, saying this, that the question that drove their creative process and continues to drive it today is, how can we consume as much of your attention as possible? The goal was this, that every single time a new post would show up or someone would respond or give you a message or you'd scroll and see another video, instantly another hit of dopamine comes to your brain. Admittedly, admittedly, they say, they were exploiting a vulnerability in all people. With each dopamine hit, they desired another, and in this way, the technology begins to change us, even the way our brains function. And if there are levels that has left many of us, many of us at the level of compulsive, I have to look, I have to see it, but, but if we were honest, many of us are at the level of even addicted to technology, I have to get another dopamine hit. We wouldn't say it that way, but that's how we function. In fact, a recent study showed that just being in the same room as your phone causes, it reduces someone's memory and their problem-solving skills. Just being in the same room as your device. Why? Because there's something happening. It begins to change our brains. The constant, the continual, the unlimited access to technology actually changes us. Even more, it can in many of us create a false sense of reality if we're not careful. A false sense of self, right? Rooted in comparison. We're judging everyone in our lives, looking at everyone in our lives, and it creates this constant comparison. And because of that, we have a false sense of self. We have a false sense of others. We, we see everyone, oh, their breakfasts look great today. Look how beautiful their kids are. Look at, they don't have any problems like me, right? It creates this false sense of self and others, a false sense of connection. I love the connection that's available to us. And in the days and weeks ahead, as a church, we're going to leverage connection through technology, especially in the days in which we're living and some of the things that are happening in and around us. But some of us have traded genuine connection for pictures and images, a scroll through their feed. We think we're genuinely connected to someone because we can see and investigate everything happening in their lives. Some of us, we're raising a generation of young people that don't even know how to have a face-to-face -face conversation because we've replaced genuine connection with technology. False sense of reality. Many of us, all generations, we struggle to be present in the present because at the push of a button, we can be somewhere else with something else happening in the world and, and check on something else, constantly updated. And so many of us have no idea how to be present with the present, present with the people right in front of us because we're immediately connected to everything and everyone else. Technology, if we're not careful, it begins to change us. And not just that, technology, if we're not careful, it begins to consume us. The truth is... The truth is, it's not just changing what's happening internally in my brain, how I'm thinking, how I'm functioning. It's consuming our time and our energy and our habits and our practices. There's a, a professor of psychology at NYU, New York University. Uh, his name's Adam Alter, and he gives a really interesting case study on how media has changed over the last 15 years. And what he says is 15 years ago, all of our media was filled with what he calls stopping cues. 
Now, some of us in the room are old enough to kind of resonate with this, that it used to be you would read the newspaper and, and you were done reading the newspaper because the newspaper ended. You would read a book and you were done reading the book when the end of the chapter came. You would watch a show and you would be done watching the show because you would get to the end of the show and they would say, join us next week to see another show. There was an immediate stopping cue. The problem over the last 15 years and the way that our media has evolved is there are no more stopping cues. I can read an article and directly below the article there's a link for five more that may be better than the one I just read. I scroll, and the scrolling never stops. There's never a moment in Facebook that says, that's the end. There's nothing more. You could scroll forever. I I finish watching my show, and five seconds later, another show begins, right? There's no more stopping cues for us. So what's the result? The result is we have no margin. We don't know how to stop. We don't know when enough is enough. And so the same study that spoke about the way that our brains function differently just because our phone is in the room, it said this, that the average iPhone user, now Samsung people, you're not out of the woods either, okay? But the average iPhone user touches their phone 2,600 times a day. And millennials, they believe are actually twice that much, right? We don't know when enough is enough. For many of us, it's the last thing we look at before we go to bed. It's the first thing we touch the moment our feet hit the floor. And and I'm not here to condemn you. I'm just here to acknowledge that if we're not careful, our technology can change us within and consume us and our habits and what we do outwardly. And if we're not careful... The technology that we love, the technology that is such a beautiful part of our lives can begin to cause us to drift. And we don't even realize it. In light of this, I think there's some important questions we have to ask. And this is really how I want to close today. And I realize that this message, this topic is not a normal one for us, but I think it's timely. I think it's important in my life and in many of our lives. The questions that I think are most important as we close today are this. First, question number one, why does God care? Why does God specifically care about the unhealthy use of technology in my life? If if it's not outwardly a sin, if it's not not harming someone specifically, why does God care? Question two, what does it look like? Healthy, unhealthy technologies, what does that look like in my life? Question three, what do I do? now question one really is the big question why why does God care pastor why on a Sunday morning would you spend so much time talking about this if it's harmless right well we were created we were created to worship God that's who we were we were created with this longing right we we talked last week about Augustine's words and and how deep within us there's a restlessness and we only find rest in him So if that's true, and that's not just true because Augustine said it, it's true because God said it. If that's true, then there's a restlessness and a desire that only God can satisfy. In Luke 12, Jesus said it this way. He said that our hearts will follow after our treasures. And almost always when I hear that verse, I think of treasures in terms of money. And that's true. But couldn't it be true today Couldn't it be true that our treasures are not just our possessions and our money? Couldn't it be true that our treasure is also about our attention and our focus? Because perhaps 
The scarcest resource you have today is your attention, your time. We speak often, many of us today, you might feel like God is distant from you. And we all know there are seasons, the dark night of the soul, where we're experiencing hard things. And we're experiencing kind of like, God, where are you? But maybe for some of us today, the truth is that God isn't distant. You've been turning to so many other things. God hasn't moved. Maybe you've begun to drift from him. We've allowed other things to become the focus. We've allowed other things to become our treasure. And Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So the problem isn't technology, right? It's that technology becomes what we turn to, what we rely upon. I said it this way, that we don't have a technology problem, we have a worship problem. Do you see the difference? This is not about how many hours you spend doing this. This is not about how many times you look at your phone. This is not about which app is okay and which is this. Well, I use the Bible on that. and I, That's not what it's about. We don't have a technology problem. We have a worship problem. In the moment we start turning to anything in our lives, a quick dopamine hit in place of turning to God first, we have a worship problem. Because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is, Jesus said. See, John Mark Comer, a great pastor and author, he wrote an incredible book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And I have to credit him often over these next couple weeks because his ideas have really helped form some of mine in this subject. But he says it this way. He says, the root problem is not technology. It's the gaps we're trying to fill in our hearts with technology. And that's why it matters to God. That's why God cares about this topic because it's the gaps that we try to fill with the things that we turn our attention to. So, so, so for maybe you're here today and you're saying, okay, what does it look like? What does it look like in the life of a believer that's choosing not to drift but, but trying to stay the course, trying to run the race that we've been called to run and trying to understand a healthy use of technology. I think we know our use of technology is healthy when it doesn't interfere with a lifestyle of worship. When we can honestly say that our lives reflect a lifestyle of worship, no matter what technology is present in our lives, that he is first. He is the one that we are restless unless we find rest in him. It isn't an obstacle. That technology isn't an obstacle to learning the practice of silence and solitude. Isn't that something that we struggle with, all generations, with learning to be still, with learning to be quiet? And oftentimes the moment I try to be still and try to be quiet, I get another notification, I get another text, I get another thing. And so sometimes this just becomes noise that's a distraction from learning to be still in the presence of God. We know our use of technology is healthy when it doesn't prevent us from seeking God's wisdom and guidance first. How many of us this week, in the midst of news that's hard, 
in the midst of some fear happening around us, how many of us this week were so tempted to turn to other things in our lives to fill the gap when instead we come to God first, when instead we say, God, you are my foundation. It doesn't mean this stuff is bad. It doesn't mean we don't watch the news, but but there's a reason they call it a feed, right? There's a reason it's a 24-hour news feed. There's a reason it's called a social media feed because it is feeding you. And if we allow that to be our primary source of sustenance, we begin to drift. Because it's not God's best for us. It's not his best. We know our use of technology is healthy when it's not a constant distraction. Again, not it becomes something we possess, not something that possesses us today. Is that true in your life? So what's the opposite of that? How do we know when we're unhealthy in our use of technology? Well, we know when we have no boundaries in our life in the area of technology. We just, we, we lack intentionality. We, we just mindlessly consume, not aware of its impact on us. We allow technology to numb us instead of allowing God to fill us. God, help us. In my life, I've just become convicted of how often, and and this isn't the only form of technology, but I've just become convicted of how often in my life I've allowed this to become noise. I'm outside playing with my kids and I get a text and I just have to look for a minute. I'm, I'm sitting in the room and instead of being present with my family, just because my phone's here, I pick it up and I look and in that moment, instead of being present and engaged and listening maybe even to where God is speaking, it's just noise in my life. It's not bad in and of itself except Oftentimes, it becomes a distraction if, if I lack intentionality, if I lack boundaries, if I'm just mindlessly consuming it. And so today, maybe the question is, what do we do? Well, it won't shock you (laughs) that there's two areas I think are critical, focus and intentionality. Focus and intentionality. This is the way we combat drift in our lives is focus and intentionality. So today, we begin focus on paying attention to what's happening in your heart. Pay attention to how are you consuming? What has your constant attention? If ever that was an important question, isn't it? The times in which we're living now, what is it that has your constant attention? Recommit. Focus means recommitting to re-engage in worship that I want my life Not just what I do here for a night, but I want my life to be worship. I want to commit to tuning in to God more, loving him more, surrendering more, even in the area of technology. Urgency means you have to be intentional. You have to be intentional. And pray. Do what the Lord says. Uh, Engage in healthy conversations. Talk to people that love you and and that can speak truth into your lives about your level of consumption of technology. Allow them to say some hard things to you. This is not just for young people. I'm just here to say, uh, my mom might watch this later, but I'm sitting around the table at my parents' house and I'm looking around the table as many people begin in the middle of a meal pulling out their phones. And if there's one rule we have at my house, it's no phones at the table. Right, right, right. That's not a that's not a legalistic thing. It's just a heart thing that I want to connect to the people in my life. And so this is not just for young people, millennials. This is for all of us to begin to commit with urgency to pray, do what the Lord says, engaging in healthy conversation, intentional boundaries. For me, I found a lot of freedom that there are moments and times in my life, in my day, where I put 
my phone away. I walk away. I, I disconnect from it, and I find so much freedom. It's not a legalistic obligation, but it's a heart desire to worship Turning off the TV more in my life, that's okay. TV's great. I love watching. I can, I can tell you all the shows I watch, right? But I found some freedom, some freedom in setting some intentional boundaries in my life. None of this is rooted. None of this is rooted in legalistic obligation. You know what it's rooted in? Worship. God, I want to worship you better. I want to know you more. I want less distraction. I want to be more engaged with the people in my life. I want to be more engaged and in tune with what you're saying. Many of us today, we don't have a technology problem. We have a worship problem. So the band's going to come, and they're going to help us conclude with a time of worship. And if I could ask you this morning to bow your heads here uh, on this campus and around wherever you're watching today. For a moment, could we tune our hearts to the heart of our Savior? Could we re-engage, yes, even through technology, but could we walk in step with his spirit this morning? Could we acknowledge today that the God of the universe desires to speak to us? He desires to be intimate with us. He desires to walk in greater intimacy with us. And today the question is, Will we remove all the hindrances, anything that could hold us back? Today, listen for the voice of God. Commit today to remove any distraction, not out of some legalistic checklist, but a, a heart desire to say, God, I want to know you better. I want nothing in my life to hold me back from experiencing all that you have from me. Here in the congregation, would you just stand to your feet as we prepare to worship? God, we love you today. And there's, we know today that your yoke is easy. Your burden is light. And so, God, we, we don't need to feel guilt today. We don't need to feel shame today, God. But we can find freedom today. Freedom by walking in step with your spirit, but by walking in freedom one step at a time today, God. And so today, remove fear from our hearts, remove burden from our hearts, God, and let us step forward and walk in freedom that you have for us. As we pray right now, as we seek you, we know, God, we seek you and find you when we seek you with all our hearts. May that be so today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you have any questions about the church, please email us at info at abeaconofhope.org. As soon as you're finished listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.